Yes, so we're looking at our hope in Christ for today. That's what we are, um, that's the focus of our Bible study for today. And um, this might spill over into next week or a couple of weeks. I do not know, or if if God, you know, helps us, we can finish it today. But I intend not to rush this Bible study. So we will take it um, bit by bit, all right? And then also, to say that, just to give us heads up that we're going to read a lot of scriptures today and we'll take it, you know, again, like I said, bit by bit, we'll break it down and um, go through some, some things. And the reason is because what we want to look at today is very key to our Christian experience and it is part of the foundations of our conviction, all right? Because, you know, when remember when we looked at shining as lights in the world, um, part of what we said was that um, three three main, main ways we shine in this um, in this world as light. Number one, we said our consecration. Number two, our conviction, and number three, our character. All right. So what we're looking at today pertains to our conviction, and if we are not strong in our conviction, what will happen is circumstances will come and try our conviction, and we eventually fail. And you know, from the, the Bible study I'm referring to now, where we looked at. Um, convictions. We said our convictions will be tested by pressure. All right. So experiences of pressure or moments of pressure come to test our conviction. And um, what we want to look at today is part of the things that build our conviction in Christ Jesus. All right. So let us start with um, our hope in Christ. That's the topic for today's uh, Bible study. And I, I want to read from by way of beginning, right? Let's read from um, First Corinthians chapter fifteen, verse nineteen. First Corinthians chapter fifteen. Um, read from verse nineteen, or I'll probably read a few verses before that. So, please, like I said today, we are going to read a lot, a good number of scriptures, and I. I could have quoted them, but because of how I want us to build this Bible study, we're going to read them ourselves. So there'll be a lot of turning to scriptures. Um, so just heads up for that. All right. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse, we'll start from verse 16. Um, no, no, you know what? Let's go back to verse 12. Let's start from verse 12. So it says, now, if Christ be preached that he rose in, from the dead, how say ye, how says among you that there is no resurrection from the dead? So what was happening is that these people were beginning to question the resurrection from the dead. What happened was that, you know, because of so many things around them, the religion and the, and the paganism that they came out from, they began to question if there's even a resurrection from the dead. And, you know, this is a very subtle subtle um, error that if we don't address, and, and we're, we're going to read the following verses, but if we don't address it, it would weaken and dilute the essence of our faith in Jesus Christ. So imagine someone comes to you and say, well, see, everything ends in this life. And the person comes maybe from a good standpoint. The person says something like, you know, in this life, you have to be good to people. And you as a believer, you say, yes, yes, that's correct. The person says, you know what? Because all these things you are getting in this life, all this money, all this wealth, all the houses, all the cars, they're going to end in this world. And, and that is correct. You, you as a believer, you nod your head and say, yes, that's true. 
But then the person goes on to say, you know, in fact, there's nothing after we die here. That's the end of our lives. There's no, nobody's resurrecting. No, there's no heaven. There's no hell. Everything just ends in this life. So you need to live, you know, in a way that this, everything ends here. And you as a believer, if you are not careful because of the pre previous statements that you've agreed with, you can be lured into agreeing with the last statement that everything ends on earth. There's no resurrection. And, and that is not true. The basis of our faith hinges upon the fact that there is resurrection from the dead. And we're going to look at why, why this is so, why this is important rather to us as believers. Okay. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that's where we're reading. And we are in verse 13 at the moment. All right. So it says, but if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. So Paul begins to lay an argument that if there, if you say there's no resurrection from the dead, that means Jesus Christ did not resurrect, all right? Verse 14, and if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is vain, and your faith also in, is, is, is vain. Meaning that the preaching we've had came, part of the gospel was that Jesus Christ was risen from the dead. And if you claim that there is no resurrection from the dead, that means Jesus Christ did not rise. And if Jesus Christ did not rise, then there's no gospel literally, Okay, and just to, to diverge, one, one second, please. Just to make a little detour and to explain why the resurrection of Jesus Christ is super important is that when Jesus Christ came, okay, just to summarize his whole work on earth, he died, he was buried, he resurrected, and he ascended. So there, there are three key things, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. If we stop at his death, right? We would miss his, the, the importance of his resurrection and his ascension. And the significance of his death was the payment of our sins. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And it is that death that Jesus Christ paid for us because we could not, we could not die for ourselves. We're not qualified to pay for our sins. Meaning even if you died for your sin, it would not have satisfied the justice system of heaven because you would have died as a sinner. But God needed somebody that was blameless to pay, to, to, um, pay the price of death. And so Jesus' death satisfied the payment for sin. That was judicial. He settled the, the requirement in the court of heaven. Now, he did not just die, but he resurrected. The importance of his resurrection is the new life. In fact, again, this is a detour, but let me make, make it because I, I believe this is important. Romans chapter 6 says... Um, verse, verse 4 says, Therefore we were buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. Meaning that the same way Jesus Christ was resur resurrected right from the, from the grave, we should walk in the newness of life. So the significance of his resurrection is the newness of life. That if Jesus Christ did not resurrect, our death would have been paid for, but would not have experienced a new life. Meaning that we still would have, it would have been a, an incomplete transaction. So yes, our death would have been paid for, but we will not experience the life of Jesus Christ, the newness of life. And that's the significance of his resurrection. Um, also, significance of, significance of his re resurrection also is that we are walking in that victory because he did not just die, meaning death did not just conquer him, but he exercised victory over death, all right? So that is his, the significance of his resurrection. And the third thing is his ascension, that he ascended, right? 
meaning he did not just resurrect back to life, but he also ascended into heaven. And the Bible lets us know that he ascended and he seated at the right hand of, of the Father. And the significance of his ascension is the authority that we now have. So his ascension is proof that we are also seated in the place of authority. All right. So the death paid for our debts. All right. His death paid for our debts. His resurrection guaranteed our new life. But his ascension gives us that authority that we are prayed for as believers. So every time you say in the name of Jesus Christ, or every time you rebuke the enemy and you rebuke circumstances, is because you are seated in a place that Jesus Christ himself is seated as a result of his ascension. Okay, so let's go back to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that's where we are reading. And we're reading now verse, let's read verse um, 14 again. And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is vain, and your faith is, is also vain. He says, verse 15, yeah, and we have found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, who he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. Meaning that if you guys are claiming that the, there is no resurrection from the dead, that means we are found to be false witnesses of Christ, Okay. Now, verse, um, verse 16 says, For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins. Verse 18, Then they also which are falling asleep in Christ are perished. And this is also a significant part because the hope that we have of resurrection is lies in the fact that Jesus Christ himself resurrected. And the Bible says that he resurrected as the first fruits, meaning as the first, first of, of us that will resurrect from the dead in that same manner. So if they, we come and, and accept the theology or the deception that says there's no resurrection from the dead, that means the people that died in the faith have, have just wasted their time on earth. They have perished. And this now goes into where the verse of my emphasis. Let me read verse 18 again. Then they also which are falling asleep in Christ are perished. Verse 19 says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. If only in this life we have hope in Christ, then we are of all men most miserable. And this um, sentence is very instructive to us and revealing. And what Paul was saying that, is that if the only hope we have in Christ is limited to our existence in this world, all right, within the beginning of our lives and the end of our lives, and that's the only impact that the hope we have in Christ has, that means we have all of, of, of all men most miserable. In fact, a translation says we should be pitied more than every other person because we go through trials, we go through tribulations, we go through so many sacrifices, and then yet you say the only only um, limit of our hope is in this world, then Paul says we should be pitied more than all men. But thankfully, that is not the case. And what Paul is saying in essence is that our hope in Christ translate, transcends rather beyond the existence of this earth, beyond our existence on this earth, beyond what we see and experience on earth. Yes, I know that our hope in Christ has resulted in so many mighty things on earth. The Bible says that... Um, Faith is a substance of things hoped for, meaning our faith on uh, our faith rather is a product of of the things we hope. And then the the, the whole of chapter eleven, um, chapter twelve of of Hebrew, chapter eleven of Hebrews begins to 
um, show us the many mighty things that people did because of faith that came from hope. Yes, I know that, and there are, there are so many things that hope has done has given to us here on earth. Yet the Bible says that our hope in Christ is beyond this earth. And as believers, this is a foundational concept to our faith. Because if we do not know this, we would assume that everything we are believing God for or, or our interaction with God is limited to this world. So um, what, 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 what can I get in this world? The houses, the cars, the healing that is on this earth, which is fantastic. Um, the open doors, the breakthrough, and all of these things are great. But our hope is more than all of these things. And why it is important is because if you are not aware that your hope in Christ translates beyond this realm, when challenges come to you, you would, you would break in the midst of those challenges because you do not know the hope that um, lies ahead of you beyond this realm. That is why um, the Job, even though everything he had was lost, his relationship, his family, everything, everyone literally left him and he was alone. And his friends that were to comfort him eventually seemed not to be of comfort to him. Even in the midst of that, he says, even if he slay me, yet will I praise him. There's something Job knew that was beyond the physical earth, the physical realm that we live in, than more than this earth that we are in. And that was what he placed his hope on. And this is where Christians must come to. Because when you see the, the people of the bond woman, what they, are, they, they have no le legitimate hope in Christ, or they have no legitimate hope after this world, but they, are, they have been brainwashed to believe that there is some sort of reward for them. You know, there's some sort of seven virgins for them or whatever reward for them after this world. And because of that information and that conviction that they have, they are ready to carry a suicide, you know, carry, sorry, a bomb on themselves, on themselves and go and blow a whole place at the risk of their own life because of quote unquote a reward that they are waiting for afterwards but if you tell a believer to give up all they have not even their lives now just say their physical possession to give it up for for a, a the cost of the kingdom they won't be able to do that because their conviction is not as deep as the conviction of the children of the bond woman and this is where we have to come back to the basics of our faith to establish the fact that our hope is beyond this world, though. God will bless you in this world. God will give you the cars. God will give you the houses. God will give you the money. God will give you the husband or the wife. God will give you the children. God will give you the, the businesses, the new jobs, everything. God will give it to you. But what he has in stock for you is beyond even this world. And our understanding of this now determines the way we even operate here on earth. All right? So I just, want to I just wanted to read that as an introduction and maybe even a reminder for us that our salvation is not, was not based on just what we can achieve here on earth. Yes, there are evidences of our salvation here on earth. Yes, there are, as the Bible says, things that he has given unto us um, that pertains to life and godliness freely. He has given them to us. But our salvation and the hope of we have in Christ extends beyond our experience here on earth. All right. Now, having said this, um, I want us to look at a scripture, Colossians chapter 1, verse 27 uh, to 29. Colossians chapter 1, the book of Colossians chapter 1, verse 27 to 29. Hallelujah. Um, 
just a minute, let's turn there. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27 to 29. Okay, um, while we're turning there, just before we read, I want to encourage all of us on the call now, whether you're on Zoom or on Mixellar, um, just forward the link to someone, to a friend, forward the link to a friend and invite them right now as the Bible is as the Bible study is going on. Um, just send the link to someone, um, a friend or I mean, if you have enemies, but yeah, send lead someone, put it on your WhatsApp status, send it on Instagram, tweet about it, and then invite someone to join us today. All right. So Colossians chapter one, verse, uh, verse 27. Yes, verse 27 to 29. Colossians chapter one says, to whom God will make known what is the what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Let me switch to a, another translation just so that we, we get it easily. Um, I want to read it from the New King James Version. Colossians chapter one. So for those just joining us, I gave heads up that we're going to read a, a good number of scriptures today. So um, stay tuned and get ready to turn your Bibles to that. All right, so let me read from verse Again, okay, again from verse 27, it says, To them God willed to make known what the what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, Paul was speaking to um, this church about the mysteries of God and how that this mystery was hidden from generations, you know, past till now, and how that God has selected him out of his sovereign will to be a minister, all right, for this mystery, for this gospel. And then he says that to whom, meaning to the saints now, that God wanted to make known the riches of the glory of this mystery among the, gen among the Gentiles. So God wanted to make known to the saints the mystery of this, the riches of this mystery among the Gentiles. And what is the mystery? The mystery is that Christ in you. More, more specifically, right, Paul was talking to the Gentiles because before now, there was no way, there was no idea of how the Gentiles would be part of the gospel. There was no idea of how the Gentiles would benefit from the blessings of Abraham, all right? Of course, because God's promise was to the Jews, it was obvious how the Jews would, would partake of the blessings of Abraham. But regarding the Gentiles, there was no way, you know, Paul could discern or, do, or rather the people could understand how the Gentiles would be part of this blessings of Abraham. But then that is where the gospel comes in. And then through the gospels, those of us that are non-Jews by, by genealogy or by birth are now partakers of Christ. And so this is what Paul was saying. And he says that the riches of the mystery of the, of, um, the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, my emphasis is in that last phrase, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And what this means is that first and foremost, there is a glory that God has prepared for us, for every believer, all right? And this glory, the hope of this glory is Christ in us. For instance, if I come and tell you that, ah, there's a, there's, you, there's, there's an inheritance I have for you, or, or let's say your someone comes to tell you that your great, great, great grandfather was the was the king of your entire village. And he kept an inheritance and he's just now we discovered it. 
The, however, the inheritance is only can only be accessed by one of his children if they if that child, whether you know, great-grandchild or whoever that person is in his descendants, that if that person has a dimple, right? And if the person has a dimple, he has access to all the wealth that the great-grandfather has left. And what this means is that your hope of that inheritance is your dimple, is that smile that's or that dimple that you have, all right? Now, it's the same way Paul says that the hope of the glory that God has in, has in store for us is Christ, is Christ in us. So Christ in us is the hope that will partake of a glory. Remember I said that um, from where we read 1 Corinthians that our hope is beyond this world, meaning there's something God has for us outside our experience of salvation currently, okay? And um, the hope that we have in experiencing that glory, or uh, yes, experiencing that glory, experiencing all that God has for us, which in, in broad terms is summarized as glory, the hope we have is Christ in us, meaning Christ in you is the hope of glory. Do you get that? So the hope that there's a glory that God has reserved for you beyond this earth, what gives you that assurance that you experience it is Christ on the inside of you, okay? And again, let me say that the reason why we're going back to these things is because they are super important and foundational to our convictions as believers, all right? So Christ in our hearts is the hope of glory, meaning that there's a package, there's an experience that God has for us beyond what we are experiencing currently uh, in salvation on the earth right now. There's an experience that trans transcends beyond what we know currently. However, there's, there's something we must have that will guarantee that experience. And the Bible says Christ in us is that hope of the glory to come. Now, let's I want us to push further on this whole concept of um of a glory or an experience that is uh, uh, that awaits us and then the the um evidence of it we have currently so we're going to read a couple of more scriptures right now um uh we're reading from Ephesians chapter 1 verse 14 Ephesians chapter 1 verse 14 I will just stick to the new King James version all right, Ephesians chapter one. Let us read from verse 13. Ephesians chapter one and verse 13. All right. Okay, so let's read. Ephesians chapter one, verse 13 says, in him, you also trusted. This is talking about Christ now. In him, you also trusted. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory? Now, I'm going to break this down bit by bit so we don't get confused with all the terms, redemption, purchase, and all of that. All right, so let's go back to verse 13. It says, in him, you trusted also when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation. It says, in him also having believed, meaning when we believed, we were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. So we see a concept here of seal. All right, and I remember some, this, was, this must have been, um early last year or 20 2020 we 
um, looked at the, the, the sealing of the Holy Spirit, right? We, we had like a, an extensive Bible study on it. But just to chip in on that, on that phrase, right? When it says, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, when the idea of a seal, right? In, back in those days, back in the days of the Roman Empire, the idea came from the fact that when the king wants to send a message, right? Let's say, um, good. so let's say the, the king is sending a message to someone in an envelope, right? Uh, hope you can see my sticky notes here. Now, when the, when the message is written and everything is put in an envelope and it is sealed with the king's seal. Now, the essence of that seal is to show that it came from the king, number one, meaning it carries the authority of the king. Number two is to show the originality of that message, meaning that that message cannot be photocopied. If the king was going to send 100 of those messages to people, he has to seal it a 100 times. That's, he has to seal each message uniquely, meaning there is no photocopy for a seal. There is no duplicate for a seal, all right? And like I said, it also shows the authority of the one who sent it. Now, what God was saying here is that when we believed, he sealed us with his Holy Spirit. God put his stamp on us to show the authority of the one who has saved us and to show the originality of our, our belonging to him. That means there is no, it was not a duplicate salvation we had. It was an original one. It was not a secondhand salvation. It was the original one. And to confirm that he gave us the seal of his spirit upon our hearts. Okay, now let's proceed. He says, they are now talking about this same Holy Spirit of promise, right? He now says that concerning the Holy Spirit of promise, he is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. So the Holy Ghost is the guarantee of our inheritance. Now, if you think about it, this suggests to you that the inheritance has not come, that we just have a guarantee. And let me explain what guarantee means here. Well, let me explain the idea of guarantee, okay? Now, to explain the idea of guarantee, I want to make a, another detour. You, you know, if, you are, if, you've, if you've traveled, if you traveled with, with people, right, sometimes they just want to branch and, you know, buy something from the road. So I want to branch and explain what guarantee means. So to explain guarantee, I need to use a story in the Bible. Um, the story is found, we won't read it because it's long now, but the story is found in Genesis chapter 38. Now, there's a man called Judah. Judah was the son, one of the sons of Jacob, all right? And Judah went on to marry a woman from Canaan, and, um, and she gave birth to sons. And Judah um, took, found a wife for his first son. Now, when Judah found a wife for his, for his first son, um, they, they got married. The son was, the first son did what was evil in God's sight, and God, God killed him. God took him out. Um, so Judah said to the second, second son that, well, now that your brother is dead, go and sleep with your, with, uh, your brother's wife so that you can have children for him. But the second son looked at it and said, ah, if I do this, the child of this woman will be, will be, will be my, my brother's descendant, not my own descendant. And he did something that was evil in God's sight, right? And he, the woman, he did not basically consummate the marriage. And um, God also was angry with him and God killed him. Now, the, Judah's last son was not yet ma mature enough to marry. So, Judah told the, um, the daughter-in-law to wait until that son is old enough to marry. Now, just for context, their culture, the way their culture was back then was that 
if the first son dies, right, the second son should can marry the wife of the first son, provided the second son is not yet married, so that they can raise up seed for the first son and all of that. And that's why um, the, the Pharisees, sorry, the Sadducees asked Jesus Christ, you know, they, they came up with a hypothetical story and said, oh, one man married, but he didn't have, have child. And then um, he died, the second one married and all of that to the seventh one. And they all died. And then their question was, when they go to heaven, who will now be the real husband of the wife? And Jesus Christ, you know, dispelled all their confusion. But back to my story, um, Judas last born wasn't grown yet to be able to marry the daughter-in-law. So Judas said to the woman and said, you know what, wait until this child grows up before you can now marry him. Even though Judah in his heart, oh, his, his heart, he was deceptive. He didn't actually want to give the son to this woman to marry because he has lost his first two sons. He said he doesn't want to lose the third one again. However, the woman waited. Now, while the woman waited, the son grew up and the son, Judah did not give the son to this woman to marry again, even though the son had grown up, meaning Judah did not keep his promise. So what the woman did was she pretended to be a prostitute, all right? And at, at this point, Judah's wife had died. So Judah came to, you know, share the ships and all of that. It was that season of that time of the year. And this woman dressed like a prostitute and waited by the roadside. And in the night, you know, Judah, she covered her face. So Judah didn't know who she was, didn't know anything. She, Judah took her in and said, you know what, let's go and do the do. Now, before anything happened, the woman said to Judah that, okay, what are you going to pay me? I mean, I, every prostitute collects money. So the woman said, what are you going to pay me? And Judah said, I'm going to send a goat to you. Um, I'm going to send a goat to you as payment. Meaning he didn't have the goats now. So the woman said, okay, what are you going to give me to guarantee that you will send me that goat? So Judah gave her um, his signet ring, gave her his staff, and gave her a, a rope, a, a, a lanyard, a, a, a what's it called now? Um, let's call it a belt, okay? So Judah gave her these three things, and she held on to them as a guarantee that he would fulfill his promise, okay? Now, for the sake of the story, so I'll not keep you hanging, um, eventually, when Judah sent the, sent the goat, they, they couldn't find the so-called prostitute, and you read up the rest of, rest of the story. Now, my my point in the whole of this story is to show you the way a guarantee plays out. That Judah promised this woman to give her a goat, but because he didn't have the goat at that moment, he gave her a guarantee to say that he would actually fulfill his promise, okay? Now, what God is saying is that there is an inheritance that he has for us, but so that we will believe him that the inheritance is there, he now gave us a guarantee that we can hold on to pending when the inheritance manifests. And what this tells us, one, is that the inheritance has not yet fully manifested. And this brings us back to what I was saying, that our salvation experience is not everything we have here on earth. There is a large portion of our experience of what the Bible calls glory. That's what, the, you know, the, and thinking about it is just so amazing that God calls it glory. The Bible says Christ in you, the hope of glory. That means the thing that God has in store for you, right? After this earth, it is, can only be, be quantified and um, described as glory. And because of that inheritance, and because the inheritance has not yet come, God says, you know what? I will give you a guarantee that so that you can hold on to letting you know that that inheritance is, is wait, waiting for you. 
Now, there's something I want to also point out from our story. Now, from the guarantee that, that Judah gave to this woman, that's his daughter-in-law, that he didn't know was his daughter-in-law, he thought was a prostitute, the guarantee he gave to this woman were things that were unique to Judah, meaning his signet ring, um, his staff, and the, the belt, right? These things were unique to Judah. And how do I know so? Because when the woman eventually wanted to reveal the identity of the of the person that you know she had slept with because later on she she got pregnant and the news got to Judah her father-in-law and Judah was angry and said bring that woman let's let's stone her to death she has done committed atrocity let's stone her they wanted to commit judgment and the woman said okay i am pregnant i don't doubt but the person i'm pregnant for is the person that owns these things and by the time they looked at it it was obvious that these things belonged to Judah meaning the things that Judah gave to this woman were unique to him. They were personal to him, that he could not have been traced to any other person. And this is what God did with us, that in giving us a guarantee, he gave us a guarantee that is unique to him, meaning he gave us his Holy Spirit that is unique to him, that if you have the Holy Spirit, you can trace your ownership to Jesus. You can trace your ownership to God. That means if somebody doesn't, let's assume, let's, let's, let's assume, um, just for a moment, right? Assume this phone case. Let me make my video. Uh, all right, so you can see it properly. This is not a phone case, sorry, an eyeglass case. Assuming this eyeglass case is, there's only one of it in the whole of this world, and I'm the one that owns it. If I give this case, eyeglass case to you now and say, hold this case, I, I, I am going to come and give you $2 million, right, very soon. And my guarantee is that for you is that you should have my eyeglass case. If you take this eyeglass case anywhere in the world and people see it with you, they'll say, ah, this, this eyeglass case belongs to Victor. That means there's something, you and Victor have some sort of relationship. There's something connecting you and Victor for you to have this eyeglass case in your hand. It is the same way God did with his spirit. He gave his spirit that is unique to only him so that when people of the world see us or when we will see ourselves, we know that we belong to God and there's a there's something that God has promised us that we are looking forward to because his spirit is unique to him. Hallelujah. Okay, so back to our scripture. Uh, we were actually at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 14. Please, um, let me just say this again. If you do have questions, you can type in your questions right now. We'll just take the questions at the end of Bible study, but so you don't forget, you can type in your questions now. And also... If you have not invited somebody, send the link to someone, invite them and let them come and be a part of what we are learning together, all right? So back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14. It says, talking about the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Now, the first part is what I've dealt with, the guarantee of our inheritance. Now, the second part says, until the redemption of the purchased possession. Hmm. It says until, meaning there's a timeline for this, until the redemption of the purchased possession. So there is an event that will happen that will mark the timeline for this you know, guarantee that we have, okay? And it says that timeline is the redemption of the purchased possession. So what this means, again, using another analogy is, um, let me use the analogy of, a, a, a woman who is engaged, okay? So let's say, let me use myself now as an example since I'm married. So before I got married to my wife, 
Um, we're, you know, we're friends, we're friends, we started dating and all of that. But even as we're dating, even though we knew that, you know, we had the expectation of getting married, but there was, it was not yet concrete yet. But the moment I proposed to her and I gave her an engagement ring, I gave her that engagement ring and I said to her, I want to engage you, you know, take this ring, will you marry me? And she wears the ring, she cries, oh, all of that. And they take pictures and she says, yes. Now that engagement ring is a guarantee that I will marry you. I know people have in this generation have sort of bastardized the whole idea of engagement. What I mean by that is um, people still, you know, people still catch fun or people don't take it as serious as it means, but that's a discussion for another day. But the, that engagement ring is a guarantee that I am coming to marry her, all right? And eventually I came and I married her. That day of marriage was when I redeemed my promise, was the day of the redemption of the possession, all right? Just like um, um, the Bible says here, it says, until the redemption of the purchased possession, meaning that engagement ring was my guarantee that I'm coming to marry you. The wedding day was the purchase or the redemption day, you know, permit my, um, just to suit my analogy, the wedding day was the redemption day, was the day where I redeemed my promise to marry her. Now, what God is saying is that he has given us his spirit as a guarantee of our inheritance until the day he comes and executes his promise of marrying us. And that's what the Bible calls, calls the marriage of the, um, of the bride and the groom. We are the bride and he is the groom, all right? The church is the bride and he is the groom, okay? Now, this is the hope that we have. And I went through all this explanation to show us that our experience of Christianity is not limited to this world. There's something God has for us. In fact, God calls it glory. And if you read scripture, you see that there are in so many places in the Bible, the Bible refers to what we are experiencing now as just a foretaste. There's a lot more that God has in store for us. Okay, I can't believe it's just one scripture we have read. And I really have like, um, okay, I'm going to read two more scriptures that, okay, no, what we have a couple of scriptures that, that just explain what I've said now, but I won't go further into so much explanation since we have already covered um, the basic concept from all that I've, I've, I've mentioned, okay? Okay, so let's read another scripture that says basically the same thing. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22. Basically says the same thing. Like I mentioned to us today, we are going to read um, a lot of scriptures. So uh, indulge me, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, 22. Okay, um, let me read from verse, no, 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 from verse 20. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 from verse 20 says, For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. Now he which establishes us with you in Christ, now, sorry, let me take that again. Now he which establishes us with you in Christ and I have anointed us is God, meaning the person, the person that has established you and I in Christ and has also anointed us is God, okay? Now, verse 20, he says, who has also, this so God now has also sealed us and given us the earnest of the spirit in our hearts, all right? The word earnest, there's the same word guarantee or, or, or foretaste, okay? 
or, or part payment, like we, like we call it. So it says God has sealed us, and I'll explain what seal, sealing means, uh, or what the implication of sealing is. And he has given us the earnest of his spirit, the guarantee of his spirit in our hearts. Then verse 23 says, moreover, I call God for a record upon my soul that I spare you not. I come, okay, we can, can skip all of that. But just read this to show again that the Bible affirms that um, there's a there's an inheritance for us and the Holy Spirit is the foretaste of that inheritance. He's the guarantee of that inheritance that we have, all right? So we're going somewhere. Um, now let us look at what is the implication of this inheritance. I will run through this quickly because there's somewhere I want us to land. Obviously we can't finish, but I want us to land there before we continue it next week. So I'm going to read this quickly. What, you know, we've talked about the redemp redemption of the of the purchased possession. We've talked about, you know, the inheritance that is to come and all of that. But if we now ask ourselves, really, what is the implication of this inheritance? Like what, when it, it comes, what is something that will happen to us, you know, that we're looking forward to? Let me read some scriptures and just mention one of such things. Second Corinthians chapter five, uh, still in the book of second Corinthians, just a couple of chapter, chapters away. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 to 5. All right. I would read this in the Passion Translation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 to 5. Okay, so just follow my reading. I'm reading from the Passion Translation. And it says that we are convinced that even if these bodies we live in are folded up at death like tents, we still have a God-built home that no human hands have built, which will last forever in the heavenly realm. We, we inwardly sigh as we live in these physical tents. Now, these physical tents referring to our physical body, all right? We inwardly sigh as we live in these physical tents, longing to put on a new body for our life in heaven, in the belief that once we put on our new clothing, we won't find ourselves naked. So while living in this tent, we groan under its burden, not because we want to die, but because we want these new bodies. We crave for all that is mortal to be swallowed up by eternal life. And this is no, this is no empty hope. For God himself is the one who has prepared us for this wonderful destiny. And I want to take note of that, that God prepared us for this wonderful de destiny. And to confirm his promise, he has given us the Holy Spirit like an engagement ring as a guarantee. In fact, this scripture is self-explanatory. This translation explains it itself. Now, I want to, I want to put something in perspective before I come to explaining this. That... When man sinned, you know, man is spirit, soul, and body, all right? Man is spirit, soul, and body. Man is not just spirit alone. Man is spirit, soul, and body. That's the way God designed man. And how do I know this? That even when we go to heaven, it's just going to be for a season because there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and God will send us back on earth to reign. So God's original design was for us to reign on earth. God, and that's why when God created man, God placed him on earth, not in, not in heaven. And God's intention was for man to exercise he, the, the dominion of God, the government of God here on earth, all right, on God's behalf, so that God wouldn't need to come to earth. 
we would be the gods on this earth representing the almighty God, okay? So man is spirit, soul, and body, like I was saying. And therefore, when man sinned, sin did not just affect his spirit. Sin affected his spirit, his soul, and his body, okay? Now, when Jesus Christ came and made redemption possible, redemption does not only affect our spirit. It affects our spirit, soul, and body. Just the same way sin affected spirit, soul, and body, so also is our salvation <clears throat> experience supposed to cover spirit, soul, and body. Now, however, our the salvation of our spirit is instant, meaning the moment you give your life to Christ, your spirit is born again instantly. There's no process. You don't have to wait till tomorrow, wait till the next 10 years, or wait till Jesus comes. No, your spirit is born again immediately. But that's not all that you are made of. There's still soul and there's still body. Now, the salvation of the soul is what we call the renewing of the mind, meaning it's an ongoing experience, all right? As long as you're on earth, your mind will be, keep on being renewed until Jesus comes because God will have to renew your mind from the things that have the ideas and the, and the impact that sin had on your mind. Now, the third part is your body. Now, the salvation of your body, unfortunately for us, it doesn't happen here on earth. It happens when Jesus Christ comes. So if you look at the complete salvation experience, you see that the main, the part that is really, really waiting for the coming of Christ is the, experience, is the salvation of our bodies, all right? Our souls have been saved, will not be more saved when we get to heaven, our spirits rather, our spirits have been saved, will not be more saved when we get to heaven than we are now. What we are now is, in our spirit is who will be when we get to heaven. Our soul is currently undergoing renewal, undergoing salvation. The Bible says, receive with meekness the engrafted word that is able to save your soul. So the word of God um, saves our soul. That's the, the, as we study God's word, the renewing of our mind is the salvation of our soul, that continuous experience. But when it comes to our body, it will only happen when we either when Jesus comes or we go to be with him, either death or his coming, all right? Whichever one happens first. Now, be, with this in mind, Paul was now writing to us and says, you know what? We long for that heavenly body. And the reason is because this earthly body, because of the impact of the fall of man, there's a limit to which our earthly body can contain the glory of God. And that's why that glory is now reserved for us when we go um, to heaven, okay? Uh, because our we'll get a new body when we go to heaven, like 1 Corinthians 15 already tells us. And when we go to heaven in that new body, we can experience greater dimensions of the glory of God, more than this physical body can contain. If God allows us to experience um, all of his glory, this physical body will literally wear out. And, you know, when God, God gave us a glimpse with some examples in Old Testament, because Paul, um, one example is uh, Moses, that Moses experienced so much of the glory of God, his face began to shine, all right? And because of the amount of glory that Moses' physical body had contacted, when Moses died, God had to bury Moses himself in a place that nobody knows. And because of that, the devil even wanted to contend for the body of Moses. You can imagine that because of the amount of glory that Moses' physical body had been exposed to. So imagine if God does all of that for us here. Our bodies cannot literally contain it. And that's, I believe that's what happened with Enoch when the Bible says Enoch walked with God and he was not. 
you know, like a, like a pastor said, I mean, this is not necessarily written in scripture, but I tend to agree with that, that Enoch must have worked with God, fellowship with God so much that he experienced a dimension of glory that his body could no longer come back to this earth. He just continued being, you know, with God like that. But anyways, back to what we were saying, part of what we're expecting or we're looking forward to, part of the hope of the glory we're anticipating is the renewal of these, our physical bodies, Okay. And the Bible says this clearly in not just in this scripture, but even in another scripture that I would read. Um, but there's something I wanted to emphasize here before I move to another scripture. It says <clears throat> that in verse five, it says, and this is no empty hope for God himself is the one who has prepared us for this wonderful destiny. And to confirm this promise, what is the promise? The promise of our physical bodies being renewed to confirm this promise. He has given us the Holy Spirit like an engagement ring as a guarantee. Okay, so let me read another scripture that says something very similar. Romans chapter 8 from verse 16. Romans chapter 8 verse 16. I, I, was, sorry, I was about to tell us that welcome to Bible, Bible school. But I really think this is important to lay this foundation for us before we even move on to the other aspects of, you know, our hope in Christ. Now, and what I'm doing is to first establish the eternal dimension, and then we'll now walk backwards to see how that reality and the consciousness of this revelation affects the way we live here on earth. All right? So Romans chapter 8, um, I said verse 16, right? <clears throat> um, did I, let us start from, no, no, let's start from verse 19, sorry, not 16, verse 19. It says the entire universe is, again, I'm reading from the Passion Translation. The entire universe is standing on tiptoe. Now, just for context, this is a scripture that says um, the, the uh, creation, you know, waits for the manifestation of the Son of God and all of that, okay? So let's continue. The entire universe is standing on tiptoe, yearning to see the unveiling of God's glorious sons and daughters. For against its will, the universe itself has had to endure the empty futility resulting from the consequences of human nature, of, of human sin, sorry. And just to say something here um, uh, by way of just interjection that when man sinned, his sin did not just affect man alone. His sin affected the whole of earth, the whole of, the, the whole of creation, everything that God created. And the reason is because man is the apex of God's creation. Man is at the top, is at the pyramid of God's creation. And God said to man, in essence, that I have wielded this whole earth to you. That means nothing could come into the earth except man permitted it. And also whatever man permits to come into the earth will affect the whole of the earth. So when man allowed sin to come into the earth, it did not just affect man alone. It affected all the creation. So animals that were supposed to not harm us, we became, we became afraid of them. Animals that were supposed to be, all animals were supposed to be clean. Some became unclean and all of that. So the sin of man did not just affect man alone, but it affected all of the creation, the whole of creation, not just man alone. Okay, back to our reading, verse, um, verse 20. For against its will, the universe, the universe itself has had to endure the empty futility resulting from the consequences of human sin. But now with eager expectation, all creation longs for, the, for freedom from its slavery to decay, from slavery to decay, and to experience with us 
the wonderful freedom coming to God's children. Verse 22, to this day, we are aware of the universal agony and groaning of creation as if it were in the contractions of, of labor for childbirth, as if it were um, in the contractions of labor for childbirth, yes, verse 23. And it's not just creation. It says, we who have already experienced the first fruits of the spirit are inwardly, also inwardly grown as we passionately long to experience our full status as God's children, as God's sons and daughters, including our physical bodies being transformed. Emphasis on that, including our physical bodies being transformed. Verse 24 says, for this is the hope of our salvation. By hope, sorry, but hope means that we must trust and wait for what is unseen. For why would we need to hope for something we already have? So because our hope is set on what is yet to be seen, we patiently keep on waiting for its fulfillment. Praise God. I just want to emphasize some few things from this, everything I just read. Number one is that it says part of the things we are looking forward to and we are hoping for is the um, transformation of our physical bodies. Okay. Then it now says that for this is the hope of our salvation. And let, no, no, there's something I want to point out. Okay, no, sorry. Verse 23 says, and we have already, and we who have already experienced the first fruits of the spirit, of the spirit rather, also inwardly grown. And what Paul was saying is that you and I have experienced the first fruits of the spirit or are experiencing the first fruits of the spirit, meaning that this is not all that is possible in the spirit. All that we're experiencing on earth, okay, the gifts of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit, manifestations, miracles, everything, is not all that is available on earth. There is still a dimension that, or rather, it's not all that is available in the spirit. There is still a dimension that is possible in the spirit, but we, for some reason, we are restricted to only these this first fruits we are experiencing. And like I said, part of the reason is because our physical bodies cannot contain the various expressions or the full expressions of the possibilities that are in the spirit. So it, God gave us a measure. God gave us a, a first fruit, a, a foretaste. It's like, you know, when, when um, let's say you're, you're, you're cooking, for instance, or maybe someone is cooking, and then they just give you a bit of it to taste, and you taste it, and it's so wonderful. But the real thing is still in the kitchen. They have, that one they haven't served you yet. It's, they're just giving you a taste of it. That's what God did. He gave us a foretaste of his spirit. And just imagine, in fact, the commentary here says, imagine the amazing things that we are doing with just the first fruit of the spirit. Then try to imagine what will happen when we have the full package. Hallelujah. So God and Paul explains to us that this is just the first fruit of the spirit. And part of that first, and part of the things we are looking forward to is the transformation of our physical bodies. All right. So now having established that, we are really out of time, but I want to land on one, just one thing, and we will end there. Now, I've used the whole of today and all these scriptures to explain to us that there is a realm, there's, there's a, not, not just a realm, there is an expectation we have, there's an inheritance we have in Christ. And when we talk about inheritance, yes, there's inheritance that you, you can draw from here on earth, but there's also an inheritance that God has for us beyond this life. And what this tells us is that we have to live our lives with the consciousness of that inheritance, okay? And this, in fact, brings me perfectly to the last thing I want to say for us today. First, say to us today, rather, first, first John chapter 3, verse 1 to 3. 
um, the book of 1 John chapter 3, then we'll read verse 1 to 3. Just, let me use the Passion Translation again since it's been serving us well. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 to 3. All right. Um, it says, look what wonder at, sorry, look with wonder at the depth of the Father's marvelous love that he has lavished on us. He has called us and made us his very own beloved children. I, I like the way the King James says it. He puts it. He says, what manner of love has the Father bestowed on us? The, the love was so great that you have to pause, think about it, and your mouth will be in a gape. He say, what manner of love? And you know, this is what the angels look at, and they, they, they almost study us and say, who is man that you are mindful of it? What is man that you are mindful of them? All right? So it says, what manner of love does the Father lavished on us? Um, continuing, it says, he has called us and made us his very own beloved children. The reason the world doesn't recognize who we are is that they did not recognize him. Verse 2, beloved, we are God's children right now. And, and I mean, I could do a whole teaching on this, that the fact that it is right now we are God's children. We're not waiting to go to heaven before we become God's children. It is right now. Then it says, however... It is not yet apparent what we will become, but we do know that when it is finally made visible, we will be just like him, for we will see him as he truly is. Verse 3, and all, all who focus their hope on him will always be purifying themselves just as Jesus is pure. I want to read that last verse, verse 3 in the King James Version. It says, and every man that has this hope in himself purifies himself even as he's pure. Now, after all that I've said concerning the hope and the glory that God has in store for us, now bringing it back home, the Bible says that if you truly have this hope in yourself, the first thing you do is that you purify yourself. Meaning that if you are aware and you are conscious of the, of the inheritance that God has in store for you, the first thing you will do is that you, you purify yourself, you consecrate yourself. Let me go back to the example analogy of you know of a of a man engaging a woman. The moment the man gives this woman the engagement ring and says, "I want to marry you," and the woman says to the man, "Yes, I accept that I would be your wife," even though the wedding has not happened, but that engagement ring is a guarantee that is going to happen, and it's a it's it's a proof of the man's love and his seriousness. Okay, now. Imagine if that woman, that engaged, that woman who is now engaged, um, begins to entertain glances from other men and says, ah, you know, uh, let's talk, let's hang out, you know, let's let's go out for dinner. And she begins to entertain um, <clears throat> flirtations from other men and entertain advances from other men. You look at the woman and say, ah, are you not engaged? That's your first thing. That's the first thing you say. If it is a lady who is not engaged, I mean, if, if different men are talking to her, she's at liberty to decide who she is interested in. But when the lady has ex accepted the engagement ring from this particular man, she's in other words saying that I'm shutting down the window to where all other men and it is only this man that would, that would have my full attention. Even though they have, the wedding has not yet happened, but because she has committed, she has received the engagement ring and she has accepted the man's commitment, she refuses every other advances from men and decides that my focus, my gaze will only be on this man. It is the same way um, the Bible is, same thing the Bible is saying to us right now, that God's expectation is that 
if you know that God has given you his spirit as an quote and unquote as an engagement ring or as a guarantee of the inheritance, and you have this hope of his coming, the first thing you will do is you shut yourself from all the disturbances, all the temptations of the world, all the distractions, all the pulling of the world in different directions. You purify yourself. Purify yourself. And, and you know what is interesting here is that it's not God that will purify you. It's you that will purify yourself. And this now boils down to our responsibility in our response to God's love for us. Remember, it says what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. So he has bestowed his love upon us. But what is our response to that love? And this is what the Bible says, that if you have this hope in yourself, the first thing you do is that consecration will come in. You will live a life of purity. And this is where we are going to pick, pick up from next week. And it's not just purity that is the only thing that is a consequence of the hope we have in Christ. Um, but yeah, we'll start with that tomorrow, Sorry, next week. And we'll look at other things. There are two other things we'll look at aside just our consecration and our purity. All right. So um, I guess what all what we're able to achieve today is just establish a doctrinal basis of the fact, foundation of the fact that um, there's a hope for us as, uh, um, after this life, and all that God has for us is not limited to this life. In fact, let me re reiterate what Paul said: if only in this life we have hope, we have all men most miserable. If the only thing God is doing for you and, and your hope can achieve in this life is a new car or a new house or a new job or breakthrough business, then you have all men most miserable because an unbeliever can get those things without going through the soft um, persecution and everything you are going through. So there must be something more, more to this, I hope, that an unbeliever cannot access. All right? Okay, I hope we have learned one or two things. Um, um, I know I must have said a lot, but I hope we picked at least something tonight. All right, so this is where we'll take questions. Please, if you have any questions, um, go ahead and ask it. Um, if there's something I said that was not clear enough or you want me to go over an explanation again, um, we have just a few minutes for that. Please feel free and uh, let us know. Um, yeah, please, any question. And, and again, I like to say this, no question is silly. No question is absurd. Um, just ask it and we would, that's why we're here, we're community. All right, so questions, questions, anyone? For those of us on Zoom, um, for those on Mixer, please feel free to type in your questions. Um, for those of us on Zoom, you can unmute yourself and ask your question. <clears throat> Any questions so far? Okay. So this means everything was clear enough. Um, so I'm gonna ask us my own questions since nobody has questions for me. My first question is, um, what did you learn? That's my first question. What's something that what either was a reminder to you or um, you maybe it was new, you heard it for the very first time. What is that thing that you know, was strong on your heart today from all the things I said? Um, anyone? Please feel free to go. I, I'm going to call. Let me see. Chioma, do you want to go first and let us know one thing you've learned today that you uh, 
going home with, you're taking back with? Hi, good evening, everyone. Hello. Um, so it was a wonderful time. I learned a lot of things, but then it just basic. So it basically like um from it basically like confirmed some things and then it made some Bible verses more practical, some from the teachings. So when um, I think there's one point to say something about Jesus not just dying, but dying as sitting down at the right hand of the Father. Mm. And then you know, there's this verse that says so. So now we can come to the come body to the throne of grace and ask for mercy. So that's why we can even come body to the throne of grace and ask for mercy because Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. And then I, I had a few a discussion with one of my friends, and he was saying that um he said something about the Gentiles being like Jesus Christ did not come to die for us, he came to die for for the Gentiles, and he says saying that Gentiles are non-Jews, and then just very, very complicated thing he said. So me, I told him that, you know what, I'm not even interested in whatever he's saying. For you come ask my own, I didn't have to try to get closer to God. But then what you just said about Paul saying, saying that if our Christianity is just for this earth, like for just this earth, dynamics are more miserable, like we're most miserable. Mm. And then, so I don't know, but then, does Gentiles mean, um, you know, um, is, oh, sorry, one question. Are all the Israelites Jews or are, is it, are they part of Israelites that are not Jews? Hmm. Quite a historic and theological question. So to start with, um, let's not even try to complicate things. First of all, we know from scripture that um, the Israelites are Jews because, you know, they, they're descendants of Abraham and then the nation started effectively from Jacob, right? Um, however, we also know that not every body, not every Israelite is a direct descendant of, um, of Jacob. And reason because God made, if you check the law, God made provision for non-Jews to be part of Jews, meaning that people that were not necessarily, are not biological Jews can adopt almost like what we have in this, in this day and time, where we talk about nationalization, where if you are not a citizen of Nigeria by birth, you can eventually become a citizen by nationalization if you stay long or if you are awarded a citizenship based on any other okay. merit. Okay? So there also, that situation also was available for the Israelites. People that were willing to follow the laws of God and were, decided, and were willing to be part of the society and integrate themselves with Israelites eventually became Israelites even though they are not biologically um, Jews. So Gentiles are basically like... Um like us now, like um, non-Israelites, right? Yes. Oh, okay, so that's what I was trying to tell him because I was like, that Jesus Christ came to die. And the reason why he died is because he could put us into the, like the promise, mm-hmm. right? But then, so because I was saying that, okay, if Jesus Christ like did not death was like, why can I pray to him? And then he will answer me. I mean, it was just very, very complicated. So I told him, you know what, I'm not going to get into this argument but then what okay go ahead yeah what is um preaching to be just basically confirmed some things that you said that because at some point last time making me like not doubt but then i was just saying ah, you know that kind of thing so that's i was like i'm more interested in not having all these theological fights because me i know that i'm not even the theology is it theology and whatever they call them theology. but then one today just confirmed that we're not just 
um, preaching or following Jesus because of what we he can do for us on earth. And mm. it's a better promise even after death. And that um, and that we ha- we should live for that and not just for what we can like get on earth. So and that's basically as we being Christians, we accepting Christ, we're like engaged, waiting for the marriage ceremony, which is af- the one that's a- like after uh, um, life, after like earth, yeah. and that we should be aware of that, and then we should consecrate ourselves. We should not conform to the world so that we can be we can be separate because it's it's absurd when a, an engaged woman is considering other people except yeah. her husband. That's how we should live our lives. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank so you very much, Shoma. Thanks for that. And yeah. just want to keep in something concerning the, the quote-unquote arguments or the conversation I have with that, your friend. Um, a simple scripture that answers everything is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. When he says the world, there was no segregation, whether they were Jews or non-Jews or Gentiles or not, the whole world. And then because of that, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, again, whoever means... Jews, Gentiles, however you would decide to describe them, it doesn't matter. As long as the person believes in Jesus, they will be saved. And yeah, thank you for the sharing the things you learned today. God bless you. Oh, ah, I forgot. I forgot that Bible verse. <laughs> okay, now at least now you're reminded. All right. Anybody want one more person wants to share something they learned uh, before we close up? One more person, please on Mixer. Don't forget, you can type in your comments, um, type in what you learned. You can, you know, summarize it in a nutshell um, and type it in. Anybody else? Um, I'm going to call one more person in one one minute to share. Allah your day. Please forgive me if I don't pronounce your name very well. But Allah your day, do you want to share something you learned today? from all that we said, all the scriptures read and everything. Are you there, Allah Yes. Yeah, I am here. Good evening. Hi, good evening. Did I pronounce your name well? Yes, Allah Yodi. yeah, thank you. Thank Go you, ahead, sir. Please. Thank you so much for, for the word of God that you shared this evening. I learned that Christ in me, the hope of glory, that there is a glory and that glory, one will only have access to it through Christ. So whosoever is not born of God, whosoever does not have Christ in him or her, he or she will not be able to access that glory. So Christ in me, the hope of glory. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Amazing, powerful, simple, but super important, um, you know, sharing. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And just to chip in something as we wrap up that it's because of this entire concept that the Bible t- teaches us that we don't mourn like unbelievers. Because when we know that there is glory ahead of us, we are not, when, when, when our loved ones transition, you know, to meet God, we, our response to their departure is different and should be different from the way unbelievers respond to departure. In fact, we should be weeping for unbelievers that haven't given their lives to Christ and they depart. That is where the real mourning should happen. But for believers that are in Christ and live, 
it's not a case of mourning, even though not, I mean we physically miss their presence and company and all of that. But the hope they have, the hope we have in Christ is a great reason to rejoice. All right. Okay, so that's the end of today's Bible study. And before we go, um, okay, let's say a word of prayer first. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you. We're grateful for your word and the privilege to share your word and to, you know, fellowship with one another, ask our questions, you know, um, share our, our understanding and perspectives. We are grateful. We ask that you help us to grow in the consciousness of the glory that awaits us, that our minds, our hearts would um, would not forget the glory that and inheritance you have for us, that no pressure in this world and no pleasure in this world will cause us to forget what you have in stock for us in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, everlasting Father, for in Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen.